0: Section 11 Of An Essay on the Art of Ingeniously Tormenting By Jane Collier This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Conclusion of the Essay That great emperor, Marcus Antoninus, in those excellent reflections which he has left to the world, declares that he learnt such a precept from one person and such a precept from another. Give me leave so far as to follow his example, as modestly to disclaim the honour of invention in most of the foregoing rules, especially in those which appear the most exquisite and refined, for nothing but experience and observation could have convinced me that the practice of some of them was possible. So very delicate is this ingenious art of tormenting that it is not obvious to vulgar eyes in what manner it is most feelingly inflicted. For this reason, it is that Rustic Jobson, when his wife offends him, takes the strap, and where the strength of arm is with the wife, she generally uses it in a manner to excite her neighbours to lampoon her by a skimmington. But I have done my endeavour to set this matter in a clear light throughout every chapter of my second division. I once heard a lady declare that she carefully concealed from her friends everything she disliked, as she knew that to be the only chance she had for not being teased and plagued with every little thing that was disagreeable to her. And can any one, from experience, contradict her prudence, founded, no doubt, on just observation? How have I seen a whole company made uneasy, from the screeching of a cork between some person's fingers, the constant drumming upon the table, or shaking of the knee, of another? The hawking and spalling of a third— with various interventions of disagreeableness for offending some or all of the senses. To rise a little higher, it is not your violent quarrels or downright brutal sayings, which sometimes pass in company, that you have reason to fear. It is your sly, malicious reflections and invidious turns that may be given to well-meant words that makes company frequently very disagreeable. The lion and the tiger come not often in our way, or if they did, We should be aware of their teeth and claws. But it is your gnats, your wasps, and in some countries, your mosquito flies, that are your constant and true tormentors. I know that many learned and good men have taken great pains to undermine this, our noble art, by laying down rules and giving exemplars in order to teach mankind to give no offence to anyone, and, instead of being a torment to be as great a help and comfort to their friends as it is in their power to be. But with infinite pleasure do I perceive, either that they are not much read, or, at least, that they have not the power of rooting from the human breast that growing sprig of mischief there implanted with our birth, and generally, as we come to years of discretion, flourishing like a green palm tree. Yet, to show my great candour and generosity to these my mortal, or rather moral, foes, I will endeavour, as far as my poor recommendation will go, to forward the sale of their books, even among my own pupils. For, if, my good scholars, you will guard your minds against the doctrines they intend to teach, if you will consider them as mere amusements, you have my leave to peruse them. Or rather, if you will only remember to observe my orders, in acting in direct opposition to all that a Swift, an Addison, a Richardson, a Fielding, or any other good ethical writer intended to teach, you may, by referring sometimes to these my rules, as helps to your memory, become as profound adepts in this art as any of the readers of Mr. Hoyle are in the science of whist. Great are the disputes amongst the learned, whether man, as an animal, be as savage and ferocious, or a gentle and social beast. Swift's picture, in his yahoos, gives us not a very favourable view of the natural disposition of the animal man. Yet I remember not that he supposes him naturally to delight in tormenting, or does he make him guilty of any vices but following his brutish appetites. Must not this love of tormenting, therefore, be cultivated and cherished? There are many tastes, as that of the olive, "'the oyster, with several high sauces, "'cooked up with asavetida and the like, "'which at first are disgustful to the palate, "'but when once a man has so far depraved his natural taste "'as to get a relish for those dainties, "'there is nothing he is half so fond of. "'I can recollect but one kind of brute "'that seems to have any notion of this pleasant practice of tormenting, "'and that is the cat. "'When she has got a mouse,' She delays the gratification of her hunger, which prompted her to seek for food, and triumphs in her power over her wretched captive. She not only sticks her claws into it, making it feel the sharpness of her teeth without touching the vitals enough to render it insensible to her tricks, but she tosses it over her head in sport, seems in the highest joy imaginable, and is also, to all appearance, at that very time, the sweetest best-humoured animal in the world. Yet, should anything approach her that she fears will rob her of her plaything, holding her prey fast in her teeth, she swears, she growls, and shows all the savage motions of her heart. As soon as her fears are over, she again resumes her sport, and is, in this one instance only, kinder to her victim than her imitator's man, that by death she at last puts a final end to the poor wretch's torments. Was I to rack my invention and memory forever, I could not find a more adequate picture of the true lovers of tormenting than this sportive cat. Nor will I tire my readers' patience any longer than to add this one final precept. Remember always to do unto every one what you would least wish to have done unto yourself. For in this, is contained the whole of our excellent science. End of section 11